look around you, what do you see? Hope? Connection? Freedom? Or do you see desperation, fear, and loneliness? A world that is broken. Where did all of this begin? We began with the innocence of a child, pure and unmarked. A blank canvas eagerly awaiting the touch of a painter's brush. As time goes by, we grow and learn, becoming a piece of art, bright and beautiful. We trust, we love, we connect. Then there's a moment of discovery. In a flash, a seismic shift. We learn what it means to hurt and to be hurt. That subtle twinge that begins heartache. To yearn for control but never grasp it. Always just out of reach. And we begin to break. A hairline fracture of the soul. A wound that if left alone will grow and deepen with devastating results. We try to ignore it. Hide it with the hopes that it will go away on its own. We live a broken life. Why did this happen? How is this fair? When does it stop? Desperately, we look for answers. Our soul, our very being, stretching, grabbing, reaching for anything that may grant reprieve. We indulge in the thrill of doing something we shouldn't. We attempt to right our own wrongs, bury our pain. Dare I say, forgive our own sins. What will it take to make us stop and admit that we can't do this on our own? When will we give up control and run to God with childlike faith and realize He is the only one who can wash away the stains, repair the cracks, put pieces back where they belong, and restore us as a masterpiece? Now don't get me wrong. By childlike faith, I don't mean that we should approach God with intellectual simplicity or even blind resolve. We need to humble ourselves and let God begin the process of healing, cleansing, and restoration. Now, for some of us, it will be easy, but for others, it will be a long and difficult road. But in either case, the result is the same. A return to innocence. A return to a pure, unstained canvas. A piece of clay in the beloved, trusted potter's hand. Our brokenness doesn't just begin with the innocence of a child. It ends there. So this whole um, freeway series is about restoration. It's about how messed up people can find um, hope and healing from their past. Because what I've discovered, um, been doing this about 31 years now, 19 years as a youth minister, 12 years at, at, um, at this church as pastor, what I've learned is everybody's hurting, just not everybody's um, open and honest about that. All of us have pain, we deal with it in different ways, and, and most of us don't open up and share that with somebody, and that's kind of what this journey is about. So if you look at your listening guides or if, you, um, if you're following along on version, you can see that the steps that we've already taken in this series. Uh, step one is awareness. You cannot 
um, deal with your problems until you're aware that there is a God who loves you and wants to help you with that. The next week was discovery. God wants you to discover that you're stronger than you think you are. Most of us don't want to, to deal with our pain in our past because it's painful and we don't think we can handle it. God says, yes, you can with his help. Today, we're going to take step three, which is ownership. And, and the title of the message is, you can't blame your way to freedom. And what I've discovered, and I think you probably have too, is that in this country, living as a victim is very, very easy. Living free, though, means I take responsibility for both the good and bad parts of my life. Um, it may not be my fault, but my life is my responsibility. Somebody else may have hurt you. That's not your fault. But the way you respond to that is your responsibility. So not your fault, but your life is your responsibility. And one of the most powerful things you can do to move towards freedom is to begin taking personal responsibility for today and, and figure out how um, you can deal with today. Because you see, from the very beginning of time, from Adam and Eve, the very first humans on the planet, we've been blaming people. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and, and it just seems to be the way things are going in our world. It's easy to blame others. It's easy to be a victim. And the Bible shows us how we can be free and how God wants to give us power to move on, but we don't pay attention to the Bible. God wants us to be healed. God wants us to be free. The enemy, though, wants you to live in fear and shame and guilt of your past. And actually, the enemy wants you to blame God for everything instead of taking personal responsibility. So that's what this whole ownership thing is today. Now, how many of you would admit today that there's something in your life that you would like to change? Just curious. All right, looks like most of us. Now, it could be an attitude, a habit, a way you look, some kind of weakness in your life. And, and have you noticed that the desire to change causes us to do some strange things sometimes? I mean, sometimes we'll go to seminars, these seminars, because this is going to change my life, or, or we'll, we'll uh, start an exercise program. Just curious, how many of you have started an exercise program in the last year? I'm not going to ask if you're still on it. I'm not going to ask. Okay, just, just curious. Some of us have, and, and some of us haven't. We read books. We listen to these things. We try diets, and we find out that, that sometimes we change for a little bit, but we don't have permanent change. And my question is, why? Well, I think that it's because we focus on the externals instead of the internals. We're looking at behavior. God's looking at attitudes. We look at the actions on the outside. God looks at the inside. And if you want to change, change happens on the inside and moves out. And for that, you need God's help. So this morning, we're going to look at, it's a pretty famous story about Jacob. And it's filled with symbolism. It's filled with principles that you and I can apply to our lives to have lasting change. And, and what I want you to realize is this is a turning point in Jacob's life. And some of you know this story. It's the story when Jacob wrestled with God. And, and it's a very um, incredible story, and we can learn four principles from this story, how God used this to bring permanent change in Jacob's life. And it's the same principles that God wants to use to bring permanent change in your life. And there's four phases that God takes you through if he wants to change you. Four phases. Number one, God starts with a crisis. This is, this is pretty awesome. Now, let me kind of set the stage for you. This is a fascinating story to read, so if you have time this week, go back and read the whole story. Uh, what we're going to look at today starts in chapter uh, 32, and, and what's going on is Jacob has spent his whole life deceiving people, ripping people off, and he's gotten in trouble because of this, and so he had to run away from his brother because his brother said, I'm going to kill you. As soon as you know their dad died, he said, as soon as I finish mourning for our dad, I'm going to kill you. Word got to Jacob. Jacob was, was, a, was a mama's boy. He wasn't really an outdoorsman. He didn't know how to defend himself, so he runs away. He's gone for years and years and years, and, 
and God blesses him even though he's been a, a, a liar, a cheater his whole life. But now God says, I want you to go back home. And Jacob says, my brother, twin brother, my older twin brother is there and he wants to kill me. And God says, I want you to go home. So Jacob is still thinking of doing things in his power. And so he says, okay, I'm, I'll go home, God. You called me. He's telling God, you called me to go. I'm going to go. I'll go. So what he does is he sends all, he's gotten all his life and all these wives. I don't know why we're, I don't know what's going on here. He's got all his livestock and wives and children and, and just all this stuff. So what he does, being the fighting man that he was, he puts all of the women and children first and his livestock, and he divides them up. And then, then his fighting men, he really didn't have any fighting men. They were farmers and, and shepherds and stuff. And so then they're there, and then he's at the back. And here's his thinking. If, if he sees the women and children, maybe he'll have mercy. Because what, what he was told, he said, I'm going home, and Esau's heard about it. And they said, uh, yeah, your brother's heard about it, and he's bringing 400 fighting men. And so Jacob's like, oh. So let's stick the women out there. Let's, and he said, I've got all of these, these sheep and, and camels and goats. Let's, let's divide them into different parties. And, and each, each leader of these, these groups of sheep and, and all the animals, when Esau comes to you and says, what's the meaning of this? He says, this is a gift from your brother Jacob. And he says, maybe, maybe if, if he gets all of these gifts and maybe if he sees all the women and children, maybe by the time he gets to me, he won't be so mad. He won't hurt me. Right? I mean, that's, that's what you'd expect a man to do, right? Let's send the women first. Right? Okay. So this is what Jacob does. Now, this is what he does. And, he, and the last thing that he does is he sends everybody across the river, and he's on the other side of the river by himself. That's where we pick up the story. In Genesis thirty-two twenty-four, This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. That's, that's a way to win a fight, isn't it? I'll, I'll jack your, your hip socket up so that you can't even walk right. Now, we learn in verse 28. I'm telling you, this is a fascinating story. We learn in verse 28 that it was actually God. It was, it was some believe this is, this is before Jesus comes. It's called, when Jesus comes, it's called the incarnation. And some people believe this is a pre-incarnation. That means before he came, you know, in the New Testament, that, that this is Jesus. At the very least, we know that this is the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord speaks for God. So he must be God, right? Okay. So we learn that this man that's wrestling with him is, is God. And this is crazy remarkable to me because we know that God can do anything. God speaks and the world comes into existence. God said, let there be light. There's light. God said, separate the waters from the, from the land. And it, and it happens. God said, let's put some stars up here. Let's put some planets. God speaks. And yet here's God comes and he, and he came, he keeps in close contact with Jacob. He could have forced Jacob to change, but God stayed close to him, stayed in contact with him until Jacob wanted to change. You see the difference? It didn't matter that God wanted him to change. It, it mattered when Jacob said, I am tired of my life as a cheater, as a swindler. I want to change. And that's what's going on in this, in this story. Now, in wrestling, how many of y'all watch MMA? Mixed martial arts. There's four of us. All right. So everybody else just, well, okay, wrestling. When, did any of you ever used to wrestle with, with your brothers, sisters, parents, whatever? Caleb and I used to wrestle all the time. This sucker, when he was little, he would come running. I'd be in the floor watching TV, and he'd come running, and he would jump, both knees right in my back. Well, you know, dude, I don't care how little you are. That hurts. And he's like, ah, I got 
gotcha. You know, and then he'd jump on me and we would always count. We would pin each other down. You know, I'd pin him down and I'd go, one, two, three. And, you know, he'd be squirming around and then he'd jump on me. I'm going to pin you, dad. You know, and that's the, that's the goal is get the other guy pinned down. Well, in mixed martial arts, the, the goal is to, to have your guy in such a bad position that he taps out. Tap out means I give up, stop, you're going to hurt me. I've seen guys actually break arms because they won't tap out. I'll show you, I'm not going to tap out, snap. Boy, you showed him, idiot. Tap out, right? So the point in wrestling is to win, right? To have the other guy under submission. Now, here's the question I have for you. Have you ever in your life felt like giving up on something? There's something that you've been struggling with over and over, and you're just distraught, and you realize that you're not going to win, and you just want to give up. Anyone? A few of you? Well, this says he struggled until daybreak. This was a long fight. This was a no-win situation. So what I want to know, what I want you to think about today as we're talking about this, is what are you struggling with in your life that you think you have no power to win over? You're tired. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired over this issue. It could be an internal struggle where you feel like you're being torn apart. It might be a relationship that it's just ripped. It's just strained. Here's what I want you to consider. Have you ever thought that maybe it's God behind the crisis? That may, and, and whether you think it's God's fault or not, because God doesn't cause everything to happen. God allows everything to happen, right? Until he comes again, until, he, until Jesus comes and ends the war with the enemy. There are bad things that happen. So the stuff that happens in your life, it's either your choice, your bad choices that led to your pain. It's either someone else's bad choices that led to the pain. Or in Jesus' case, when Jesus had been baptized and he comes up and, and says the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove and, and they, heard him, they heard a voice from heaven say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You know what happened immediately after that? The Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness. So your choices have led you to the wilderness. Somebody else's choices have led you to the wilderness. Or it's possible that God took you to the wilderness to face a crisis. You know why he does that? To get your attention. Now, whether... Here's the thing. Whether your choices have caused you to go into the desert, whether someone else's choices or God's choices, here's the thing. God's still in control, and God wants to use the crisis to get your attention because we're pretty thick-headed, right? We're pretty stubborn, right? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. If you're in a crisis this morning, congratulations. God wants to change you. And he wants to get your attention through this. It's kind of like the mother eagle. I don't know if you've ever watched some of those shows. Sometimes we watch these, these nature shows. The mother eagle, when it's time for the baby eagle to get out of the nest and fly, the baby eagle desperately doesn't want to get out of the nest because the nest is awesome. The nest, you don't have to do anything. It feels good. Mom keeps you warm. She feeds you. She does everything. And what does the mother eagle do? She makes that nest so stinking uncomfortable that that little eagle goes, dude, I'm bailing. And as he bails, he learns to fly. If the mother didn't make it uncomfortable, he would never learn to soar. Sometimes God wants to make you uncomfortable. He wants to bring something into your life that is going to change you. See, it's natural to put off change. It's supernatural to make change. And supernatural power comes from God. Now, you all know that I'm very fashion conscious, right? That's the first thing you think of when, when you see me and you know me, right? I mean, somebody was commenting about my, my camo Crocs yesterday and how, how bad they are. And I don't care. I don't care. Y'all figured that out, right? Okay. I do this progression. Whenever I have clothes, I go, I buy them cheap because I'm cheap. I buy clothes cheap and they become my 
church clothes. These are my church clothes. So when we go on a cruise and they have these dress-up nights, I actually tell people, these are my church clothes. And they don't believe me. I'm like, I'm telling you the truth. These are my church clothes. So it starts at church clothes. And then when, you know, then they become casual clothes. And then they become work clothes. And then they become rags. And eventually they disintegrate. That's how things leave my house. My clothes disintegrate, all right? So knowing this fashion-forward consciousness that I have, years ago I bought some, um, some mud boots, some camo mud boots. They were camo. They were insulated. They were awesome. Awesome. Because, you know, we were, at, at that time, Ryan and I were going out four-wheeling a lot out at, uh, at River Run. We would take William and Caleb, and we would go out. And, and so one day, I was riding so long one day that I was shifting. It was, it was not an automatic, so I'm shifting down here with my left foot. And I wore a hole in my camo-insulated awesome boots. And, and that's a bad thing, because I wore them out there. It was cold, one thing, and we were getting in mud. And when you step out, it's cold. And so they were insulated, and they were awesome. Did I tell you that? And so I'd rub this hole in them, and I thought, this is not good. Now, a normal person would probably think, I need to go buy some more boots, but not me. No, 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 duct tape and water, come on. You know the stuff that you have for swimming pools that you go in and underneath water, you can stick it on there? I did. I would dab that on there, and it got up to about this high. It's like, there ain't no water coming in here. And Janie's like, really, you're going to wear those? And I said, yeah, these are awesome. And I already have them. And so I would keep wearing these suckers, and they had this big bump right there above my toe where I had the little shifter thing. And, and I wore those until one day I was out at the deer lease. And I was working, I was having a good time, and all of a sudden, you know, the rain comes up. And I'm like, i got to get this finished. This is the only day i got to be out here. So I go and I pull on my awesome camo boots, and I'm traipsing around, and I'm cutting, and I step in the creek. Now, what are mud boots designed to do? Keep water and mud off your sensitive little feet. And I do have sensitive feet. Janie says they're soft. She does. She goes, you have the softest feet. And I'm like, I condition. <laughs> Not really. I don't. I don't. I don't care about my feet. But I stepped down in there, and it's getting cold, and it's raining, and mud went not just into my shoe or into my boot, but it sucked up on my sock. And, oh, dude, it was the nastiest thing ever. You know what I did? I bought some new boots. Because only an idiot keeps wearing boots when there's a hole in them. Come on, y'all. So my question is, have you ever been in a situation where God had to bring some rain into your life to get your attention? Because here's the thing. We don't change until the pain becomes greater than the fear of change. I got tired of having wrinkly toes. So I went and bought some new stuff. But that's just a simple thing. God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And if it takes a crisis, guess what? God is going to bring a crisis in your life to get your attention. And he will use that crisis for your best. So first thing God's going to do is he's going to use a crisis to change you. Second thing, phase two is he's going to use commitment. This is pretty cool. I love this, in fact. The man said, this is God, says, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless unless you bless me. Basically, what, what Jacob is saying is, I'm sticking with this struggle until I find some benefit from it. 
I want something good to come out of this. I've put all this energy into it. I've made this investment, and I want something good to come out of this. Now, I'm not kidding. I can, I can tell you a lot of you ladies, and you're about to shake your heads, because a lot of you ladies have stuck with your man when he has done some things to you that everybody else said, walk away, and you've thought about walking away, and then you said, I've invested way too much in this sucker. I'm not leaving because I'm not going to let someone else benefit from all of my hard work. Can anybody say amen? Yeah, uh uh-huh, there's a bunch of you. I've heard you say it. Some of you have invested so much energy in your pain, in your past. Some of you fought for your marriage. God's going to use this crisis to get your attention, but even after he gets your attention, God doesn't answer your prayer right away. Do you know why? Sometimes God waits to resolve a problem because he wants to see if you're serious, if you're committed about working through and changing. Do I mean business, or is this just a moment of clarity in my otherwise cloudy life? God wants to see if you're really committed to this. The normal reaction, what is the normal reaction? When, when someone hurts you, fight or flight, right? Normal reaction is to run away from pain, run away from our past, get out of the situation, quit. God says, I want to see how committed you are. And many people miss, miss God's best because they give up too soon. The answer is just around the corner. We're great starters, but we're not good finishers. I think that that most of us spend a great deal of time trying to prepare for our weddings, our marriages, right? We're great starters. We want to have this beautiful marriage. We want to have this beautiful wedding. We want to have memories, pictures, videos, all this stuff. That's why people go to a church house a lot of times or a very beautiful venue to get married. They sure don't go there to get divorced. We go to the church house to get married. We go to the courthouse to get a divorce. And I'm not saying that there, you don't have biblical reasons. There are biblical reasons for divorce. But don't ever say that God commanded you to get a divorce because the Bible says God hates divorce. God allows it in certain situations. God forgives you. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. But God's saying a lot of times, don't you give up. You're not, it's not time to quit yet. We're great starters. I told you a while ago, I had several of you raise your hands. You started a physical fitness program. I'm not going to ask you if you're still going. We don't continue very often. Do you know I once tried to diet for an entire afternoon? And, and because I didn't stick with the diet, I am 50 now, and I'm getting furniture disease where my chest doesn't drop into my drawers, you know. So I, I came across this. I thought y'all might like this. I'll let you read it along as, as this is a little uh, poem that I, I didn't write this, but I found it, thought it was good. My body keeps adjusting under middle age attack. My waistline's pushing forward while my hairline's falling back. That's already gone. So that was somebody else. Hey, diddle, diddle. I've got a bulge in my middle and hope what, <laughs> hoped to whittle it soon. But eating's such fun that I won't get done till my dish runs away with my spoon. Anybody know that feeling? Thanksgiving's coming up. Christmas, man, Janie fixes food. My brothers were down here a couple weeks ago. We're going through mom's stuff. And uh, my brother said, how do you not weigh 400 pounds? I said, I'm on my way. Because Janie just fixes food all the time. She loves fixing food, loves watching people eat. And I'm just growing. We're great starters. People come to me all the time and they say, I got this problem, whether it's marriage, whatever. They, I've got this problem and I've prayed about it. And if I push a little bit and I say, how, how, how many times you prayed about it? Well, once. Or I pray about it a lot. What's a lot? Well, yesterday. Before yesterday, when's the last time you prayed about it? I don't know. 
Really? You're going to say that you, you are seeking God and you've talked to him one time? What's up with that? We need to spend a lot of time with God. And some of you, you're, you're, you're this type. If God doesn't answer now, I'm turning my back on God. So you better answer. Your children do that to you. What do you, you better buy me a car now. Next week I'll get you because I'm going to knock you into next week and then we'll talk about it. You don't come like that to God. God's saying, where is the commitment? First there's a crisis, crisis then there's commitment. A lot of couples are about to give up on their marriage. There are couples here today that are about to give up on their marriage. And the answer is right around the corner. So don't give up. And, and I think y'all realize this. If you've been married any amount of time, you realize that we're messed up people. Two messed up people get together, right? And God uses your spouse kind of like holy sandpaper to rub off, to sand off your rough edges. And some of you got a lot of rough edges. And she's going, yes, you do, sucker. But you stay together, and, and I'm telling you, Janie and I look different today than we did 23 years ago. Because, believe it or not, I'm a lot nicer than I used to be. You can just shut up. I'm nicer to Janie, not to Jeff. Um, but no, seriously, Janie, Janie's heart not only was attractive to me, but, but the way she deals with people has rubbed off some on me. And Janie used to, be, used to be the nicest person on the planet. I think she's been supplanted because she's got a little bit of washburn in her now. Dude, you cross that, that little blue-eyed woman. It's really sexy when she does it. It's cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... Oh, wow. But she's, she's, she'll tell you that she has much more, she will stand up for herself more today. God is using us to be more complete together. Does that make sense? But most of us aren't committed enough to allow God to work. Jacob said, I'm not giving up until God turns this burden into a blessing. It took you years to get into the mess that you're in now. God's not going to just heal you overnight. It's going to take some time. God wants to heal you, but you're not willing to be committed long enough to allow him to do it. You've got all these ingrained patterns and habits and ways of reacting. That's going to take God. God wants to change it, but he's going to take layer by layer, one thing at a time. And here's the really cool thing from Galatians 6, 9, one of my memory verses from years ago. It says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest. Uh, we will reap a harvest of blessing if what? Don't give up. So God's going to bring a crisis into your life. He's going to see if you're committed. And then the third thing is confession. And I'm just going to be real honest with you. Right here is where most people stop on their road to healing. In Celebrate Recovery, when you get to, to, uh, to step three, actually step four, where you do a searching and fearless moral inventory of your past, most people walk away because they don't want to deal with their past. And so they stay broken. They stay messed up. And on this, this road to freedom, this is where a lot of you are going to walk away. Here's what Jacob did. Jacob says in Genesis 32, 27, what is your name? The man asked. And, and Jacob replied, Jacob. Now, why did God ask him his name? Did God not know his name? Let me see if I'm wrestling with the right young man here today. No, God knew his name. Do you know what his name meant? Cheater. Literally, it means cheater. And Jacob, everybody who knew Jacob said, yeah, he's, he's, he does what his name says. He's a cheater. He's a swindler. He's a liar. Nobody trusted him because he had become his name. 
And so when God says, what is your name? He's asking him to confess his greatest weakness. Now, if God were to show up today, and by the way, he's here, and he's going to ask you this question. If your name were your greatest character defect, what would we call you today? Would we call you hothead because you lose your temper all the time? Would we call you bitter because you're holding on to something in the past? Would we call you lust because all you think about is sex all the time? What would your name be if your greatest character defect were on display and we put it up here on the screen? What would we call you today? Because that's what God was asking Jacob. He said, what's your name? And he said, I'm a cheater. Some of you are worriers. Some of you are greedy. You're resentful. Some of you are unreliable. The lesson is this. I won't change My problems, my weaknesses won't change until I admit them. Until I confess them. I take ownership of who I have become. First to myself and then to God. And then to at least one other significant person in your life. That's difficult. But but the fact is, God won't work in your problems until you admit you have them. Now, when you come to God to admit you have a problem, He's not going to be surprised. He's not going to say, oh, wow, you're a hothead. Didn't know that one. I can't control my appetite. Didn't know that one. I I lust God, didn't know that. No, God knows it all. He wants to change you. He wants to know that you know it before he changes you. Phase three is you come face-to-face with God, you come face-to-face with yourself, and you answer, what is my name? What, What am I really like? You admit your problem, then God can help you. So to change, you gotta quit making excuses for your behavior. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. That's not the comparison. You wanna know what it's like? Look at Jesus Christ. Compare yourself to him. I never hear people say that. I'm not that bad. I'm not this. Nobody ever says, I'm not that bad compared to Jesus. Nobody ever mentions Jesus because none of us measure up. But that's the standard according to God. Now, it's humbling to admit weakness, but when, you hum- when you're humble, that's where God wants you. Because the Bible says God opposes the proud. God is the, the opponent to proud people. And see, what we talk about is we need grace. We talked about that. Joe talked about it a couple weeks, and I, I did a sermon on grace back in September. Grace, when you boil it all down, grace is the power to change. And if you want the power to change, how do you get grace? Well, you, you have to be humble. Well, well, how do you be humble? You admit your weaknesses. Now, I'm not saying you're going to stand up here, but you've got to admit it to God. You've got to admit it to yourself and then to somebody else. You become transparent. And, and the, the healthiest people I know are the most honest people about their weaknesses. You ever notice that? They're also the ones that God's working in the most because they've let their problems out in the open. Everybody knows, and they can deal with them. And besides, you're not really hiding your your weakness. The people in your life already know. They know your character flaws very well. And they would actually be moved if you would admit those. And they'll actually be drawn to you if you'll be humble. And so will God. Fourth thing, he uses crisis, he uses commitment. What was three? Confession, yes, thank you. And now cooperation. Phase four is cooperation. This is awesome, and this is what some of you need to hear. In verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and men and have won. In, in, the, new, uh, in the American Standard, it says, and have prevailed. This, this new name means you have struggled with God and prevailed. 
please tell me your name, Jacob said. And, and he says, why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Now, the moment Jacob confesses who he is, he begins admitting his problems and he cooperates with God. God changes him. And, and he calls it, here's a second, we're going to read this. He calls the place Peniel, which means face of God because he wrestled with God face to face. And, and all of us are going to see God face to face someday. Some of you are running from God right now, and you're going to run, and you're going to run, but there's going to be a day when you can run no more. And, and what my prayer is, is that you face God on this side of death, because if you don't accept him now, the only unpardonable sin is dying without Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so I'm saying, why not face him now? Because right now he wants to be your friend. Right now he wants to make changes in your life. He wants to help you today. But when you die, when you die and you stand before God, if you don't wear his name when you stand before God, the, the worst words you can ever hear is, depart from me because I do not know you. The only people that God knows are the ones who wear Jesus' name. And you have to accept that on this side of death. So I'm saying face him now. All of us are going to face God someday. Face him now. When Jacob got real with God, then God said, I'm going to bless you. Now, blessing comes after confessing. Remember that. God wants to bless you. And the first thing God did was he gave Jacob a new identity. Your name is no longer Jacob. It's going to be Israel. Jacob means cheater, supplanter. Israel means prince of God. He who prevails, it's actually two meanings. He who prevails with God and prince of God. God looked at Jacob who used to be a cheater and a swindler and he says, I see a prince. And God looks at you today, whatever your name is. And he says, I see a prince. I see a princess. God sees what we can become. Praise God he does because I was a pretty sorry individual. But God said, I I see something different for you. I'm going to give you a new name. And he does the deepest work in our identity because really our actions come out of who we think we are, right? If you think you're a liar or a cheater, you're going to tend to be that. But if you think you're a child of the king, you tend to act like a child of the king. The entire nation of Israel was named after this dude who used to be a cheater. That's remarkable to me. So I don't care. Don't tell me how bad your past is. You're not like Jacob was. Or even if you are, God can change you. Now look at verse 31. This is where he says, The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Now, the interesting result of this all-night fight was that he got injured, and God injured his, his hip and his thigh. And I think it's because your hip and your thigh, your thigh is, is your largest muscle. Is that right? And, it's, and, and you know, it's why they tell you to, to, to don't use your back, use your legs when you're lifting, because that's the biggest muscle. And, and God was showing him, you're not strong enough. This is the number one thing God wants Jacob and you to know, is you're not strong enough to do this on your own. So from that day forward, Jacob walked with a limp. It was a constant reminder. And, and what I want you to realize is willpower doesn't work. It takes God's power to change you. Because what you try, to, what you try not to focus on, you tend to focus on what we resist persists. So you have to change the focus to God. And as you study Jacob's life, you'll, you'll find out that every time he had a conflict, he ran away. He was a runner. God, God got his leg and he said, you'll never run again. You're going to limp the rest of your life. Because God wanted Jacob and us to know that running away never solves problems. 
God says, I know how to fix that little temptation. You got a, you got a characteristic of running away. I'll make it so you can't run ever again. God says it's never his will for you to run from a problem. So here's the thing. This is, this is the bottom line lesson. The lesson of Jacob's life is you don't have to stay the same. Whatever that name was that, that, that came into your mind, whatever your character defect, you do not have to be defined by that. You do not have to be defined by your past. God has something better for your future. If God can love Jacob, he can love you too. So here's the deal, real quickly. Where are you in this process? Are you in a crisis? Has God been trying to get your attention? You've been wrestling with relationships or whatever it is for weeks or months. It's a major crisis, a shakeup, and God wants to get your attention. Sometimes you have to hit bottom before you'll ever pay attention to God, and God loves you enough to let you hit bottom. So some of you may be right in the middle of crisis. I'm going to ask you to write that on your card in just a minute. Phase two is commitment. Have you made a commitment to stick with God? You're going to struggle with God until he brings something good out of that burden. Now, some of you, it may, be, it may seem easier that you need to walk away from a job or from a relationship, but let me just caution you. Don't you dare walk away until you've talked to God. Oh, well, I prayed about it once. If you've prayed for weeks and months and other people are confirming that, then maybe, yes, you walk away. But don't let the people who confirm it be people who don't know God or don't follow him. Makes no sense to me whatsoever. I'm very picky about who I listen to when I ask for advice. Because no offense, I don't want just anybody giving me advice. I go to people who I respect their walk with God, and I say, would you pray with me about this and, and ask God to confirm through you? What do you think? And just let someone who is more spiritual than you give some insight into your life. Ask God for staying power. Number three, some of you are at the confession point and you've been here before and God's brought you back around and God goes, I see you again. Is this the time you're going to confess who you are to me? Are you going to get real with God today? What weakness do you need to admit? What problem do you need to face up to? Could be destroying your life, maybe destroying your marriage, maybe destroying your career, but you need to be honest today and confess that. The heart of every problem is really a problem in the heart. And we've got to get our heart right, and the only one that can do that is God. So if you want to change, you've got to go through phase three, but don't stay there. Phase four is cooperation. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. Some of you need to, to just close your eyes, and we're going to do this in a second, and say, God, I want to cooperate with you. Whatever you have for me, God, I'm tired of doing life my way. I'm tired of doing relationships my way. I'm tired of doing career my way. I want to cooperate with you, God. That's an awesome prayer to pray. God, Christianity is all about God changing lives, and he wants to change you today. So would you just bow your heads for a moment? God brought you here today because he wanted to teach you something. And oh, it's my prayer that you pay attention. Regardless of where you are, whether in the middle of crisis, or you're at confession, or you're stuck, wherever it is, I want to ask you, if you would, just to pray this after me. Father, I want to cooperate with you. Just pray it silently right where you are. I want to trust you to change me. I want to relax and place my life in your hands. With your help, God, I believe I can change. Help me with my unbelief. If you're serious about that, God's about to do some radical things in your life. And some of you, you've never been born again. Jesus said you have to be born again. He wasn't talking about reincarnation. The Bible doesn't talk about reincarnation. It talks about a new life. And some of you have never gotten a new life from God. 
You need to say, Jesus Christ, I want to be born again. I want new life. I want to be forgiven for my past, and I want to start over. Jesus says if you, if you pray that prayer, all your past sins are wiped away like a blackboard that's just been wiped off. Chalkboard is completely clean. Some of you need that today. And so I pray that you'll, you'll say, God, I, I, I need a Savior. I need to be forgiven of my past. Jesus died on the cross to totally change your life. Father, it's my prayer that, that in this whole journey of, of freedom, towards freedom, that we would learn lessons not only for us that, that we could share with others. And I want to thank you for my small group who's walking through this process. And I'm already seeing massive things happen in people's lives. And I praise you for that, God. It's my prayer that everybody can experience your power to change them. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.